You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 22. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Blitzbach. Hey, everyone. I am so excited today. We have with us Katie, and Katie is actually one of my husband's second cousins. She had a mom who had lung cancer when she was a teenager. I actually had the privilege of helping to take care of her mother a bit while I was a resident at Jefferson, which was a neat thing in our whole experience together. And then at some point, Katie was also diagnosed with a breast cancer, and she is here to tell you her story today. We're so excited to have her. Katie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I guess I'm just going to kind of dive in. Absolutely. Um, When I was in high school, my junior year, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. She had surgery to remove that lobe of the lung where the cancer was, and that was it. She healed really quickly and really well from the cancer, and she was cancer-free, supposedly. Fast forward to when I was a senior in college, just shy of her five-year mark from the diagnosis of lung cancer. She was diagnosed with brain cancer, and it had metastasized from the lung. So that started a whole crazy downward spiral. She had brain surgery. She had rounds of radiation. I think she saw you, Deb, in at Jefferson when she had the gamma knife radiation. And from all of the trauma to the brain, there were just multiple neurological things that she had to deal with on a daily basis. She dealt with all of this. The cancer went into remission but lots of other neurological things came from it, such as a stroke, seizures, all kinds of different things. She was in a coma for a while, but she just kind of pushed through everything and and kept going and was this source of like strength and brightness and just, it was pretty amazing to watch. She was an amazing lady. She was so sweet and so fun to be around. She was so funny. Yeah. Um, Oh, she was funny. (laughs) She unfortunately passed away 10 years ago, but prior to passing, she just kind of, anything that knocked her down, she'd get back up again and she'd push through and she just kind of kept going. And from that, I learned so much about just perseverance and strength and how you just kind of keep going. You turn lemons into lemonade. It just was an amazing life lesson that I learned from her. Yeah. Perseverance Um, um, in the face of adversity. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So after having dealt with all of that, I turned 40 in April of 2016. And end of May, early June, I was in the shower one day and I was just washing myself and I went over my breast and I was like, huh, there's something there. And I found, um, a lump, um, I had just finished my period for that month. And so I kind of had said to myself, I'm like, well, I know the breast can change with your cycle and everything. So let me give this just like a week to see what happens. It didn't go away. 
it didn't really change, but it didn't go away. So I had my husband feel it because I was like, is this in my head? Mm -hmm. I think as many women, you feel something or you notice something and you're like, oh, I must be imagining it. Like this is, this isn't anything. But he also felt the same thing I did. And so I made an appointment with my general practitioner and went in and she sent me in for a mammogram and an ultrasound and everything just kind of rolled from there. Ended up with a biopsy and an official diagnosis on July 1st of that year or a couple days before that. So probably about a month from when I found the spot to when I got the official diagnosis. And we were leaving the next day on a two-week vacation out west <laughs> to Montana and up into British Columbia. And it was like this whirlwind of, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? I have two kids. Bridget is my oldest. And at the time, she was eight and a half. And Keegan was six at the time. So it was like, oh, my first thoughts were, oh my goodness, my kids, either I'm not going to be around to see them or how are they going to handle this? It was this mixture of everything. We had a big conversation with the surgeon I was seeing at the time about whether or not we should cancel our vacation. And she looked at us and said, you need this time right now as a family unit. Mm -hmm. Two weeks is not going to make a difference. I will make all the unnecessary appointments and we will dive into this as soon as you return. Everything will be set up and just, we will hit the road running with everything that needs to be done to get you going. And that two week time, as hard as it was to like finish up packing and get my emotions under control and we weren't sharing any news with the kids yet, it was probably the best way to start my journey because it gave me time to reflect and to like just kind of get everything in order in my own head. We were outside, we did amazing hikes, we were seeing beautiful landscapes and I could kind of just be with the family but also take the time I needed to be by right. myself and figure it all out. I think that nature is one of the most amazing things in a cancer journey. I think that it helps to take you outside of yourself a little bit. Yes. And give you a little bit of breathing space. Right. And I Absolutely. know I know you found that along the way. I just found it was a really good way to be all together, but like I said, be by myself and just kind of um shuffle through all those thoughts and feelings and everything that goes on in your head with something that is so totally out of your control and overwhelming breathing in that fresh air. We were also with good friends. It was also really amazing because our good friends have four kids. We have the two and we push them to the max with some really long hikes through Glacier National Park. And it was amazing. The kids were aged two to 10, I think. And it was really amazing to see these kids do 10 mile hikes without a blip. And it was like, okay, this two-year-old is doing this hike. I mean, she got a lot of shoulder rides, but if she can do this, like I can totally tackle what's in front of me too. Anyway, we got back from our trip and everything was set up. I had, while we were gone, the surgeon was in constant contact with us. Once I got back, we hit the ground running and my 
treatment plan went kind of back and forth quite a bit. At first, we thought maybe I would start with a mastectomy, and then we decided that starting with chemotherapy would be the better way to go. I was diagnosed with triple positive breast cancer. I started my first round of chemo on August 4th, and I went through six rounds over 18 weeks. Probably Taxol with Herceptin in that yep, day and age. It was, um, yeah, and that was, wow. That was, that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. That's no fun. No, it was no fun at all. I will say having the three weeks was, there was a nice little reprieve in there where I, I felt somewhat normal before going into the next round. I learned really quickly. And one of the things that I tell anyone I talk to is not to look ahead, like mm-hmm. at your treatment, because when you look ahead and you're in the midst of these feelings so super crummy. Like for me, my world just swirled. It was like a downward spiral for me. But if I could just stay within like a three week block of time. And after that first three weeks, I kind of, I realized that, okay, this is how things are going to proceed. Like I knew when I was going to get certain side effects and how, you learn to manage those better. But if I stayed within that three week block of time during the chemotherapy, I was, I was able to stay much more positive and be able to continue moving forward with everything much better. Mm-hmm. I tried to exercise as much as I could, even if I couldn't do my regular exercise program because I was too tired, I would still go to the gym during the class time and I might just walk. But just to be around my friends and in my normal routine really helped a whole lot, you know, doing what I could when I could do it. I'm a stay-at-home mom, so I was fortunate not to have a job outside of the house to go to. And my husband helped out a whole lot where he could. But I think he also realizes he's like, wow, like she was really strong through that. And he was surprised at how little he needed to really do because I continued to manage most everything. To the best I could. Was it perfect? No, it never is. And it was really ugly at times, but you know. Everyone who's got kids knows that being a stay-at-home mom is not sitting around eating bonbons, you know, especially when they're under 10. There's a lot that needs to get done. There's a lot of laundry. There's needs to be prepared. There's a lot of school stuff that needs to be addressed. Yeah. We all know that, you know, that's not a cakewalk. <laughs> no, it's not. And I will say, I, I feel like we set ourselves up pretty well to succeed in the fact that I had a friend who set up a meal train who, I mean, it was amazing. I think we had three meals delivered a week from August through February of wow. 2017. That's amazing. And It was funny because I remember thinking in the very beginning, like towards the end of the second week, the third week, I'd feel fine or pretty close to fine. And I'm like, I'm not as tired. I could be making dinner and I feel really bad that I'm having these meals delivered to me. And a friend said to me, she's like, you know what? Don't feel bad. This is a blessing. Take this time that you do feel good and spend it with your kids and your family and let everyone else bring you the meals. This is what they want to do to help you. And it's something easy that they can do to help you. And you should take that time for yourself and for your family that you're, when you are feeling well to, you know, just enjoy them. 
I think that's such an important thing because I think a lot of people do feel guilty about that and then tell people don't do it. And really uh the truth is it's good for you and it's good for the people who love you because they desperately want to do something to help. And there's so little that you can do for a loved one who has a diagnosis like that. And it makes you feel like you're contributing something. And it actually makes them feel better and it makes you feel better. So I would really encourage people that have that option to take it because it's one of those times in life where people want to show you how much they love you. For sure. For me, it's always really hard to ask for help. So this was one of those things where I was getting the help. I didn't have to ask for it. People just wanted to do it. And those side effects are kind of, they're cumulative. So by the end, where, where I was feeling great was pretty limited. It was such a blessing to have that. With the kids in school, we made sure everyone knew at school, the principal, assistant principal, guidance counselor knew what was going on, the teachers. And <laughs> really funny, I, I remember before the start of the school year, I reached out and my daughter was starting third grade and she had a young male teacher for third grade. I mean, like 24-year-old male teacher. (laughs) And the guy this counselor looked at me during our meeting to discuss everything. And she's like, I'm just going to be the one to deal with Mr. Brown. I think it's going to be really hard for him to handle this. It was just kind of funny. But the school was great with helping with the kids and checking in with them. And I think that's a really important point that it's better to share up front for a lot Mm -hmm. of people because trying to do this on your own and trying to keep it sort of private and secret, I think ends up backfiring, especially if you've got kids. Absolutely. The more people who know, the more people who can be in there with you, you know, it takes a village. Um, It takes a village to raise kids normally, but in times of crisis, having that village really just gives everyone a bit more support. For sure. It helps me get through because the more people that knew then there wasn't that element of surprise if they saw me out. Mm-hmm. One of the things my mom, so my mom lived about 17 years with no hair. She shaved her head before her initial brain surgery. And then afterwards, all the hair follicles from the radiation never, and her hair never grew back. Um, she wore a wig for a short period of time, but she was a bank teller. And I can remember going into the bank one day and realizing that her it was so hot that she had scratched her head or the wig was itchy and her wig was sitting halfway back on her head. And I'd be like, (laughs) mom, you have to pull it down. And so she'd come she came home and she's like, forget the wig. I'm done with this. This, this, this is who I am. This is how I'm going to be. So when I lost my hair, that was kind of how I decided to handle it too, was I'm not wearing a wig like this. That's not who I am. I'm, a pretty laid back, simple person. Like, I don't need that. There was no hiding what was going on. Mm -hmm. I was out there. And so the more people that knew, I felt like I didn't have those questions or the stares. I didn't care. I was living the way I needed to live to get through it. I wore scarves or hats, but I also just walked around with a bald head and I (laughs) freaking loved it. I loved it. (laughs) It's really freeing, actually. (laughs) So funny. Um, it's, I've sort of yeah. found the same thing during the pandemic. The pandemic has turned me from a business clothes at work to a scrubs person at work. Yes. And it is freeing. Like all of a sudden when you don't really give a crap anymore, I get up and I know what I'm wearing because there is yeah. one thing on the bench 
and it's yep. the scrubs that aren't dirty. Yeah. And, you know, it is sort of freeing, like deciding that you're just not going to care about some aspect of how you look. Oh, absolutely. And I think too, I think that was one of my biggest fears with my kids was how were they going to look at me with no hair? Like, what were they going to think and how would that make them feel? And so we tackled everything, at, even though they're young, as a family unit. They were a part of everything. Once we told them what was going on, we would share in words that they understood what I would be going through. And so the day that um, we shaved my head, we were all a part of it. Everyone was together. We were on the deck. We were making jokes. And it was this big, funny thing. And we kind of used humor to get through some of the tough times, um, which I think you have to do. For me, I know that was a great source of help. Shortly after I shaved my head, we were going to a neighborhood party and the neighbors didn't know yet. I put on a baseball hat and we were about to walk down the driveway and I can't remember if it was Bridget or Keegan, but one of them looked at me and was like, why are you wearing that? They're like, take the hat off. And I was like, are you sure? And they're like, you look awesome without any hair. Take the hat off. And so that was like my first little outing with no hair was to a neighborhood party and I got tons of questions, but at the same time, like it came from my kids and that was just, that was like, that was pretty amazing for them at eight and a half and six to be like, you don't need that hat. Take it off. After you had bilateral mastectomies, I think, correct? I did. um, Finished chemo. My last one was November 17th. And I had a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction. I had um, tissue expanders put in on December 19th. Mm -hmm. So about a month after I finished chemo. I knew right from the very first minute I got my diagnosis that I just was going to have a bilateral mastectomy. I didn't have to. I could have had a single. I actually had two different spots in my breast in different quadrants. One was a DCIS and the other was the the tumor that I had found. Um, So a lumpectomy was not an option Mm -hmm. for me. It was either a single or a bilateral mastectomy. Right from the get-go, I was like, you know what? I've used my breasts to feed my kids. I'm done with that. I'm ready for a new set. So we're just gonna, (laughs) we're just gonna move on from these, like just get rid of both of them. And I'm glad I did. So surgery was December 19th, a week before Christmas. That was really, really challenging. That's rough. Um, Two kids who, you know, you're trying to give the world to at that time of year. And And they were um, still in the believing in Santa phase. Oh, yes. A lot of work had to get done before surgery. Um, and then I had the help of lots of amazing friends to kind of finish things up after surgery that I couldn't finish myself to make Christmas a special one for them that, that year. I had tissue expanders put in. Those really sucked. Um, <laughs> they were like bricks in my chest, just this tight, bizarre feeling, like nothing I had ever obviously experienced before, but didn't even imagine that's how it was going to be. And then I had them swapped out for the implants on April 6th. And that was it. I will say one of the chemo drugs I was on, Herceptin, was a one-year course. So I Mm -hmm. continued with that every three weeks for a full year. That ended in the end of July of 2017. 
So six months after the end of the Hercept, there was a new drug that had just come out for my specific type of cancer. And so I started taking that drug too, which was a, a year of lots of uncomfortable side effects, but we kind of made it through. Yeah. Remind me when you had your surgery, how was the response that you had? Yeah. Uh, no nodal disease, which was amazing. Um, and I should back up too, because one of the things that got me through the chemo was the fact that after the first round, I could physically feel the tumor shrinking. Mm. And so... Such a good feeling, for sure. It is such a good feeling. And it definitely puts everything that you're feeling and going through and all these horrible side effects into perspective. You're like, okay, I may feel really, really crummy right now, but the reason I'm feeling crummy is because the medication is doing what it's supposed to right. be doing. And I have to just keep that. Mm -hmm. It's okay to feel crummy for a short period of time because in the long run, it's doing what it's supposed to be right. doing. So, and the fact that I could feel it shrinking myself was just validation that I was doing the right thing. Right. I think so. that that's really nice when that happens for patients because it does just give you that sense. It allows you to envision that happening over your body. You know, yes. I mean, you know, if it's shrinking there, that anything else that's going on is also working. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and fortunately, because the nodes were not involved, I didn't need radiation afterwards. Right. And so that was really great as well. Absolutely. Um, it takes one piece out of the puzzle that just for people who need all three, it's, it's a long, challenging road. And even if the radiation doesn't give as many side effects, systemically, it's got a lot of lo local side effects. And, yep. you know, if you can skip any part of the process, it makes things a little less challenging. Oh, for sure. I think they sure. put you on tamoxifen initially. Yes, I am still on tamoxifen. I think I started it in like January or February of 2017. Okay. Um, did you have genetic testing at any point I, along that? I did. I had full genetic testing. Um, with my mom's history, I wanted to know, even though her types of cancer didn't really increase my risk off the bat of um, breast cancer, I still wanted to know. I wanted to know if this is something that I was going to be passing on to my daughter and right. all of that. So I had the full panel done and everything came back fine. Um, the other thing with that when you're young is if it does come back positive, you know that then you likely need to remove the ovaries as well. So it gives yes. you that additional reassurance that you don't need more surgery. You know, I think exactly. if you have genetic testing at 40, we'd always be wondering in the back of our mind whether we should have potentially taken out your ovaries. And so it's nice to get that information, know for certain that they, they can stay. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I think, like I just said, like it gave me a bigger sense of relief and peace knowing that, I mean, my daughter will still be at a higher risk, but mm -hmm. she's not, I didn't pass anything on to her. Right. So that was comforting in a way, in mm -hmm. a, you know, with everything going on, it, it, it definitely helped, helped me a little bit to know that. Yeah. What um, was your and, lowest point in the whole process? I think I probably had a couple different low points. I had multiple phases like through the whole process where, so it was not just one low point. 
I would say that my first round of chemo was a low point because I didn't know the side effects I was going to have. I didn't know how to manage them. I don't think I had ever in my life felt so sick. Mm. And so that is just such a strange and weird feeling. But once I knew how to manage all of that, it got easier. And it, though the times where I felt sick, I wasn't as low and I knew I could pull out of it and I knew how to manage it and, and move forward from it. I would say during the, after my mastectomy, I probably had a low point around that Christmas time yeah. um, period because I just physically couldn't do what I normally would be doing with my kids and my right. family. Um, that was really, really hard knowing that I just couldn't participate in some of the normal activities we might do or, you know, be as active with them as I would have liked to have been because I was recovering from the surgery. And then I think I hit another low point when I started the oral drug. It was a new drug out and my oncologist had warned me that it came with some severe diarrhea. I decided that the benefits of it outweighed the side effects mm -hmm. and that I would, you know, try to manage that. But what I didn't realize was how that was going to affect my daily life because I was feeling really great by that point. Like I'd gotten through the surgeries, I had healed, I was getting my strength back. I was, you know, back to exercising like I had been before the diagnosis. And then I start this drug and the side effects would hit me out of the blue and it would be bad. Leaving my shopping cart in the grocery store and having to run to the bathroom and then not being able to get out of the bathroom once I was in it. And so that was really, really hard. But one of the ways that I think I got through all of that was maybe I'm an oversharer, but my circle knew exactly what I was going through <laughs> and we would joke about it. At my gym, the joke was, Katie, you can have a change of clothes in like the locker room ready for you in case you need it. I mean, <laughs> it was a long year of yeah. that, but I made it. So yeah. one of the things that I was thinking about as we went through this is your mom's disease paved the way for you getting through this with a knowledge that you could do whatever you needed to do. And yeah. you've given Keegan and Bridget the same thing. I mean, I hope I have. That was... They've watched you go through this and whatever happens in their life, they have this great role model of knowing that they can, they can get through whatever tough times come. Thank you. Yeah, I really, I really hope that I have done that. I know that having my mom's journey to kind of guide me through my own journey in a sense was a gift because right. had I not had her journey, I wouldn't have known how to tackle my own. I just knew that it was going to suck, but we'd all come out stronger because of it. I think that knowing your mom, she would say for sure that she would have wanted her course to be there if it helped you later on in your life. She yeah. wouldn't have changed that for anything if she knew that it was going to make your journey easier down the road. Yeah, 100%. You're correct. Through everything, I would often think like, okay, well, how would my mom handle this? Or mm -hmm. what would she do? Or what would she say? And 
I would use that to, to kind of push me through some of those harder days. And, yeah. but yeah, she was, she was a guiding force through my entire journey, even though she wasn't by my side physically. Yeah. And it's amazing how that just kind of happened because when I look back to like the beginning and the onset of her cancer, I was a junior in high school. It was this awful thing that was happening, but it wasn't something that I really thought a whole lot about. It was probably her battle with the brain cancer and everything that came after that. And the fact that obviously I was getting older and maturing and I I figured it all out that she was just this person that was full of strength and and light. I got engaged in December of 2004 Mm -hmm. and we were actually getting ready to go and look at a possible wedding venue for a reception. My mom had a stroke right in front of me on our way out the door to go and do it. And she was like, I'm fine. I don't need to go to the hospital. Let's go and look at this wedding venue. I was like, you're not fine. We have to go to the hospital. Anyway, fast forward to February, I had started looking for my dress. And my mom knew I was looking for my dress and she was in rehab. She had to learn how to do a lot of things over again. And I ultimately ended up going to New York City and finding a dress with one of my best friends, and I didn't buy it the day I, I saw it because I knew my mom wanted to see it before I bought it. So we set a date, and she worked her ass off to get through rehab and to gain enough strength so she could make the trip to New York City with me to see this wedding dress before I bought it. And it was... <laughs> Oh my gosh, we're both, so, we're both, so, just so, so anyone listening, if we, if you hear some sniffling sounds, we're both crying right now. Yes. <laughs> and it was the most amazing thing to sit and watch her, to see the determination in her eyes, because she had this goal that she, that we had set together so that she could be with me to buy my dress together uh-huh. was just so inspiring and so amazing. And so we took the train to New York City, hopped right in a cab from the train (laughs) station. We went to the store and then we took the train back afterwards. It was a long and very challenging day for me and for my mom, but she did it. And it was, I think that story will live with me forever in any challenge or anything I face, I will think of that. And I think that right there is what kind of pushed me through everything I went through. Yeah. Because I saw her do that. And that oh, was thank one you little so much blip. for sharing that with us. That's amazing. <laughs> oh. Crazy. All right, Katie, this has been so amazing. You're so wonderful. You. You're such an inspiration to all of us in the family. And we love you so oh. much. I know. I love you guys too. Being here with us. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week and I'll speak with you soon.